1: Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is the final episode of the first week of the three individual episodes. I feel like I've been talking at you a lot. Um, I'm kind of sick of myself. I hope you're not sick of me. (laughs) I hope you have enjoyed the sections of the podcast being separated out across the week. The feedback from you guys has been positive, but obviously I always welcome it. You can always use the Catch Up phone number, which is in the show notes, to get in touch. Send me a voice note, tell me what you're thinking. I also love to hear from you there just on anything that's kind of on your mind. Um, and then I use those for the Patreon mailbag episode where I respond to all of those notes and voice notes and um, text messages and the like. And I'm always very happy to hear from you. It's been fun this week. Um, I am in Galway now as I record. I've been all, I feel like I've been all around the world the last week. I was in Galway last night to interview Laura DeBarra in Kenny's bookshop. As part of the celebration for her new book, Garment Goddess, which is fantastic and it was really lovely to be in Galway. I think lots of you know I lived here for three and a half years in my 20s and it was a very important and special time for me. I made really good friends here who are still my friends now. And I just really always love coming back here. I feel like really deeply connected to Galway. I think I will always feel that way. I would happily move back here, to be honest. And it was really, really nice to be back last night. We went to dinner in Aisne, which was absolutely beautiful. It's um kind of small plates, fancy food. Very, very nice. I love steak tartare. And the steak tartare there was one of my faves that I've ever had. So if you're into steak tartare and you are in Galway I would recommend that dish Um, and then we just went for a few drinks after had to get a pint in Nocton's, obviously you can't go to Galway and not get a pint in Noctons. those are just the rules of Galway Um, and yeah it was just really nice to hang out with Laura and um, the people from her publisher and um, uh, Sarah from Kenny's bookshop and Tomas it was just a lovely 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 time I was trying to think do I have any recommendations for you because I think I'll probably put those in this section on a Friday um, rather than at the end of the episode the way that I used too. Um, And I really don't have a lot this week aside from what I've already mentioned. And that's the other thing. They'll probably just come up kind of organically across the week. Um, I like that recommendation for the Stricto Tyrant Ain, for example. Um, Because I've been so busy I just haven't really been watching a lot or you know taking in a lot of culture. I do obviously recommend Laura Dabara's Garment Goddess book. If you're not familiar with it, don't worry. I recorded an interview with Laura yesterday which will be on next Friday's uh, interview episode so you'll hear all about it then. But now to today. Today's interview is with Veda, who is someone I have admired for, I mean, 20 years, uh, which makes me feel 105. Um But Veda is a drag queen if you've ever been to Witchy Wednesday in the George or indeed if you've been to the Sunday show over the years, the Bingo with Shirley Temple Bar, you have probably seen her perform. She uh, is brilliant. But what you don't know necessarily when you see her perform is that she's really, really lovely and gentle and kind and funny. And I just am such, such, such a fan. So Veda's recent work in uh, recent years has been mostly around, aside from the drag, obviously, has been around raising awareness of HIV and trying to encourage people to drop the stigma that exists around HIV. And one of the latest projects in that context is her new film. Pregnant with a Drag Queen, which you can see on Virgin Media next Tuesday. It is premiering at the Dublin International Film Festival this weekend. And I was just so, so delighted to sit down with Veda to talk about it. I really hope you enjoy this chat. I just love, I could talk to Veda forever. Um, So I hope you feel the same way listening. So I would love to start by saying thank you so much for having me in your beautiful home. It is so lovely here. You were telling me you've been here for 20 years.
2: Yes, I've been here in the heart of the Black Pits in Dublin 8 um, since 2004, the end of 2004, so 20 years. Yeah. Um, And it's not easy to maintain a (laughs) semi-detached house in Dublin 8. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Is so beautiful. I was walking in. I was like, it's like a fairy tale cottage. And you said that the girls call it Miss Honeys. Miss Honeys. That it, it totally feels like that. Like beautiful garden and greenery, and it's 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 beautiful. Yeah. What's it like for you to have like a stable home for twenty years? I can't imagine that.
2: It's amazing. I'm going to start off with a bit of a name drop. Um, it's really amazing, and one of the reasons it looks so pretty from the outside. A is my mom is brilliant gardener, so I grew up with that. But when I got the house. And it was just going through its first transformation. My friend, Anna Matronic, visited with her husband. And when she was leaving, she's getting in the car and she said to me, um, make it the prettiest house on the street. Yeah. She said as she got into the car. And I thought to myself, by the time she comes back, it's going to be the prettiest house on the street. <laughs> and it is because
1: when I pulled up, I didn't, I hadn't looked at the numbers. I just was like, uh-huh. I knew I was in the rough area uh-huh. and I saw it immediately. And I was like, oh my God, that house is so gorgeous. And it's your house. Great. Yeah. great.
2: Thank you. I'm so proud.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, uh, well, I'm jealous. I'll be honest. And it feels great <laughs> to have a
2: home. And, and it also, uh, it's a tough one. I, I, I feel so happy for myself that I've had the privilege. And as someone who works as an artist, mm. it's been my only security
0: yeah. has
2: been to to manage to pay that mortgage yeah. every month. is all I keep focused on, still yeah. focused on. I joke about it at my show every yeah. month, I say. So we're here so that I can get one month <laughs> closer to retiring. Um, yeah. But I love it. It makes me very happy. And I'm so aware for that reason that a lot of the mental health issues and crises that young people and queer young people are having now, I think, is about not being able to have a home. As simple as that. A space where you're in control, where you can be creative, where you can let your... Walls down, and close yeah. the door, feel safe.
1: I totally agree. I mean, I see it all the time with queer friends of mine who, you know, are... Because the thing is, it's not even just about not being able to buy a house. I mean, being able to buy a house would obviously be a stunning thing for anyone. Um, but for someone to even, to rent a room, if you are vulnerable or you feel vulnerable, to be able to find a, a, a situation with people who you're going to feel safe with, yeah. like it, it is a, an extra layer, you know, to all of this. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, yeah, Pixie lived here with us for a decade, well wow. I think that's an example of yeah, how if you can find a queer family yeah. you don't want to leave them. It took a pandemic and a bit of a nudge <laughs> for her to fly from the
0: nest. <laughs> well, I'd
1: love to talk about Pixie actually and that relationship. Um uh-huh. but before we do, let's contextualize. As I said, you know, in the introduction, we are here to talk because there is a film about you there which is. I loved. It's called Pregnant with a Drag Queen and it is on in the Dublin International Film Festival on Saturday. And it's but the reason that I especially wanted to have you on to talk about it is because everybody can watch it on Tuesday on Virgin Media One, which I was just yes. thrilled to see because sometimes the indie films like this we don't all get access to, uh-huh. but everybody can watch this. So if you're listening, you can watch it. It's Tuesday at 11, and um, it's going to be on Virgin Media One
2: and then on the player, so you can catch up with it later as well. well exactly, which is great. Yeah,
1: it's so gorgeous. How Thank did it you. come to be?
2: Um, Andrea Horan. Is the the first part of the story. Andrea and I were hanging out during the pandemic a lot mm. because she's my gorgeous neighbour. And mm-hmm. um, we used to go to Marlowe and Co., the local coffee shop, and hang out in the queue as if it was Burgain. <laughs> All the local gays would be there and we'd dress for the occasion and anyway, I love it. Yeah. The glamour. Nostalgia uh, for the pandemic. But Anyway, we, we were talking about um, my HIV activism really mm. a lot around that time. And I was just getting started on my journey with our podcast for people living with HIV. Yeah. Pause Vibe. And meanwhile, she has a, a good friend who used to work with her at uh, Think Tank. I always find it hard to say Think, Think Tank. House. <laughs> Think House. Think <laughs> House. Think House. That's right. Um, Colin Brady. And he directs films. Um And basically, she put the two of us together in her head and suggested to him that he should make a film about drag and Mm. uh, possibly about me. Mm. So I went for a coffee in Simon's Place, sadly, Simon's Place is No More, Mm. uh, with Colin. And he gave me his idea, which was to make this short film about drag. And that Mm. was as loose as it was in his head. Right. Um, And I said to him, I'm an open book, so I'm happy to make the film. And I love Andrea. I trust her. So we're good. Yeah. We're good but neither of us really had the bones of the idea yet. And I told him that HIV activism was the most important thing to me, that um, that had to be one of the messages of the film, and that uh, positive discrimination when it comes to casting Mm -hmm. was something that I would love to do, and to have as many people living with HIV as possible playing parts in the film. And he agreed to that right off the bat, Mm -hmm. Um, and that was all I needed for me to be passionate about it. Yeah. And uh, and as a result of that, the actor who plays younger me, Adrian Duggan, is a 21-year-old uh, student nurse who's living with HIV.
1: Gorgeous, by the Beautiful, way.
2: Beautiful. Does an Gorgeous. amazing job. Yeah. Yeah. And Robbie Lawler's in it playing yeah. young Panty Bliss. Yeah. And Panty Bliss is in it. And uh, another handful or couple of handfuls of members of our Community, yeah, who've all come out on our podcast. We call them our Pause Five Tribe.
1: Yeah, and I love that in the credits they are top of, uh-huh. of the credits, um, and and that. identified as a HIV positive cast
2: because they're out and proud and activists, yeah. and that in itself makes me super proud and emotional. Yeah. People who don't inhabit that space or understand it mightn't understand how important it is to us. Yeah. When Robbie and I started doing our podcast and really working on um, getting the U equals U message out there, which is the message that people who are on effective treatment can't pass on HIV. Yeah. Um,
1: the way you put it in the film is that actually people who are HIV positive on effective treatment are actually the safest people you could have sex with.
2: Yes, because we know that we are not able to pass it on to you. We're yeah. undetectable. Yeah. That's what U equals U means. Mm. Um, Undetectable equals untransmittable. Mm. So, yeah, and most people just don't know their status. Most mm. people are not getting tested regularly. And so if you're having unprotected sex with someone, it's definitely safer to choose someone who knows their status <laughs> and is yeah. out about it, Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Um, and, oh gosh, yeah, so... I don't know, I kind of lost my way there. Sorry, it's <laughs> my it's fault my because I
1: interrupted you. <laughs> That's um, good. but But, yeah, so, I mean... I think that your HIV activism is so admirable. But before I knew that you were a HIV activist, I just knew you as this like unbelievably glamorous, mind-blowing drag queen. Like I remember the first time I saw you perform in the George. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that drag could be like this. Like I knew a little, I mean, I was very young and very kind of dumb and um I didn't you know what I knew about drag was quite limited I'd never considered that you could do drag to like an arctic monkeys song and like Uh remember I think the first time I saw you that's exactly what you were doing and you were literally swinging like from the lights Uh (laughs) across the stage on the joint and I was like oh my god this is this is my drag like this person is so cool and so edgy and so different and I loved all the drag I mean I loved it all but like for from the get-go, I was like, who is this person? I need to know everything. And I have watched you from afar from, for so long. And the more I got to know you, the more I loved you. Because you're not just cool. You also are kind. And you have this drive to like make things better. Where do you think that comes from?
2: Gosh. Um, I think I had some great role models. Mm-hmm. You know, queens. Amazing queens in my life. Uh, I, luckily, I went to San Francisco in the end of the 1990s. And hooked up with this great crowd of performers at a bar called the stud at a club called tranny shack which was created by an amazing queen called hicklina she also was living with hiv and she was very active Mm. she would go to washington to big demonstrations and stuff like that she passed away sadly last year Mm. um she was a great role model for me Very kind, very cutting, very funny. All of those things at the same time. Just a great role model. Panty, of course, my big sister, is the dream. Mm. She's such an amazing person. So I guess it's easy as well for me to give credit to other people. But um, my mom's an incredibly kind person. And I think that I think I have always enjoyed playing the villain while knowing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that there's a, a much softer person you know, behind that that character mm. that I like to play. And, yeah. Also, I think that going through a HIV diagnosis and putting myself in the closet for a very long time um, caused quite a big struggle, a mental health struggle, mm. in the beginning. And even though I've overcome it, and I'm quite proud of myself for what I've done since then, I don't want that for anybody else. Yeah. So I think that that's at the core of what I do. It's not that I think I've done everything right or I have the answers. It's the opposite of that. It's more like, I really messed that up. (laughs) I really don't want anybody else to have to. Yeah. It's really generous, though. Thank you. I feel very lucky, though, as well. Mm -hmm. I feel like the rewards are just endless. Yeah. Um, And the people I get to work with, I like to quote this um, Leonard Cohen song, and I say... I'm guided by the beauty of our weapons. Mm. And that's what I like to say about them, our tribe. Uh, We want to destroy stigma as much as we can. We work really hard at it. And the people that have come out in support of us who are now our friends and co-activists are the biggest payoff for me personally in my life. They're just such an amazing group of people. We grow in number year on year. We grow in heart year on year,
1: well I mean you were involved as well in How to Tell a Secret um, yes the Sean Dunn film which I loved as well um, and I there's a a bit in that where there was a an event or a gathering in Meeting House Square where people stood up and spoke about their status yeah. and I found that so moving because when you think about what's happened in our lifetime even you know in terms of the change that's happened around the stigma and then you know an event like that pushes it forward even more yeah. a film like that pushes it for it even more yeah. but this film your film um, Eek, is, is so it. different it's so fun <laughs> and uh-huh. like you know gas and uh-huh. kind of wild and it doesn't feel super heavy and I think it's so important to Great. have this messaging in that kind of packaging as well and obviously that's a choice I can see you're smiling
2: I'm laughing yeah. inside because you know I love Passionately Add to Tell a Secret and mm. Anna and Slada, love it. Sean, I think it's brilliant it's brilliant Um, And we spent the last couple of years promoting it and working with it in various ways. And that's been great to get it from its first screening in Dublin Mm. to Netflix in the UK and Ireland. has taken quite a bit of work, but it's been an amazing journey. But the film itself is very serious and kind of sad. And I wanted right from the get-go to make sure that this talked about HIV in a much more... um, modern up to the minute kind of way yeah yeah <laughs> and that uh, everything that has changed in the last two years because of what we've done is represented now mm. so when robbie got to see the film for the first time robbie lawler he was most blown away by our pride um activity mm. when you see the entire tribe at pride out mm. in the streets just full of joy carrying signs being so warmly received by Mm. the city of Dublin as well. Mm. It's very moving. And it's very different to that other scene in Meeting House Square in yeah. How to Tell a Secret when the numbers were much smaller yeah. and people were struggling more, including me, to tell their story, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I love that you picked up on that with no shade to How to Tell a Secret. We wanted to make this, the not the bitter pill, the sweet pill, yeah. the tic-tac, the one that's fun to swallow. Mm. Um, and with credit to Colin, he wrote the script based on, interviews that we did here in this room just he interviewed me and uh one of the things that we agreed was that it would always make you smile and make you feel good Mm. by you got by the time you got to the end yeah even though we deal with difficult things yeah but he took that to the next level i think because in the two saddest moments in the film which are struggling in my late teens i think or as a child with my relationship with my Mm. mom and dad And struggling with my HIV diagnosis later in the film. Mm. The funniest things happen straight away afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) And when I talk about HIV in this film, Pixie comes in with a megaphone. I love that cuts me off yeah. and changes the whole direction of what we're saying and that was his choice and, and it's one of the things i love most yeah. it's like we're not going to stay in this space yeah. we're going to move on yeah now. we've yeah. said it yeah totally that's <laughs> and
1: that's what it feels like like it's not that kind of after school special kind of here's what we're learning today kind of uh-huh. you know it's very subversive i i think it's just so good
0: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Great. One thing that I really loved is that we start and we're in what was Mr. Pussy's club called that you worked in?
2: Mr. Pussy's Cafe Deluxe.
1: Yes. So yeah. we were in Mr. Pussy's Cafe Deluxe, and I am just fascinated by that time. Like, you worked there. I didn't know that you too were involved in that. Yes. Yeah. So, for people who don't know, because there will be people who won't know anything about drag or the history of drag or or, or queer culture or anything, and that's, which is, by the way is fine, but like, I want them to come into this glamorous world with us. Who was Mr. Pussy and what was happening there?
2: It's very interesting, especially because this was all in the 90s, mid-90s, before the internet and the whole social media phenomenon, before cameras on your phone. Yeah. So evidence of Mr. Pussy's is is quite thin on thin the on ground. The brand, yeah. But we managed to dig some up with Mr. Pussy's help. Uh, Mr. Pussy has been uh, performing in drag, the misleading lady is how we describe her, <laughs> um, since the late nineteen sixties, she started in London. She came to Dublin in the nineteen eighties and hasn't left much since then. Mm. Um, she cornered the market in drag. At the end of the seventies, early eighties, by mm. touring all over Ireland, every country pub, every inn, every hotel that would have her. She was the only working drag queen in Ireland and she became very famous she appeared a lot on panel quiz shows and comedy shows and RTE back in the day yeah and was in the press all the time and she was a real socialite she still mm. is a socialite yeah she's still kicking around she's still a socialite a mm. legend um but uh she knew everyone and everyone knew her so she was very friendly with Gavin Friday who is amazing artist in his own right but yeah. also Bono's bestie best, best mate yeah and Bono and Gavin and Norman, Bono's brother, came up with this idea to open a cafe and call it, name it, dedicate it to Mr. Pussy and have Mr. Pussy do cabaret there. Mm. Um, and it happened. It happened. It was beautiful. Um, Norman already had a, a restaurant on Suffolk Street called Tosca and Mr. Pussy's was the restaurant right next door. Okay. So we kind of extended into this bigger family. Yeah. Um, and it was glorious. It would stay open 22 hours and we would close for one hour and clean and open again and it was a cafe essentially like a greasy spoon right all day long with maybe the occasional show drag queen or we used to bring in good quality beatboxers street performers anyone who came to town that was good they'd come in maybe in the afternoon yeah um and then at night we would serve Booze illegally in teapots, and it became famous for that, yeah. or alcoholic milkshakes. Because there was no the licensing laws were very strict. So it was a speakeasy, you had to eat food, but you could drink all night. There was amazing mezzanine where no one could really see you, but you could see everybody else. The whole place was decorated by um Gavin Friday's in taste, you know, mm. he was the art director, and by um Alison Crosby, Harry mm. Crosby's daughter, mm. who's an amazing producer. And they did such an incredible job. The whole place was just surreally beautiful in a sort of Moulin Rouge style.
1: God, it sounds magical. How did you end up there?
2: Uh, I worked in the JCR in Trinity when uh-huh. I went to college. The Junior Common Room, which was essentially a big cafe collective. Yeah. And uh, there's beautiful girl who worked there called Fiona became one of the managers in Mr. Pussies and she poached or took a couple of us Mm. with her who she thought would be good for Mr. Pussies.
1: Isn't that interesting that that became such a turning point in your life?
2: Yeah, crazy. Like what if
1: you hadn't had that job?
2: I know, yeah. And I wanted that job so bad as well. You know, once I'd heard of it, I was like, oh my God, God, please take me. And they did. Thankfully they took me.
1: Um, And what was it like, like, you know, what was the vibe like?
2: Well, they play with super camp music, like a lot of Shirley Bassey, a lot of the time and those kinds of yeah. divas, Scylla uh, Black, all that, st- all that stuff. Mm. And the staff were mostly very diverse, mm. way ahead of its time in that way, mm. very queer. And dare I say it, like young and good looking. Mm-hmm. And part of the show really was just to swan around yeah. and amuse the people.
0: Yeah. So they
2: hired people who had... Big personalities. Yeah. So it wasn't really about the quality of your service; it was more about your relationship with your. It was the server. vibe? Yeah. 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 Exactly.
1: And so, who was the clientele?
2: And the clientele were everybody went there. Everybody. The clientele were you two's friends and fans. Mm-hmm. A lot of fans just visiting Dublin and mm-hmm. would come there just mm-hmm. for that reason. You two used to, in fairness, be there all the time. Bonnie yeah. used to come in all the time and have breakfast in the middle of the day. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And, yeah, so the customers were all the clubbers in Dublin as well. There was a very small but very cool club scene. So the all-night customers were really the clubbers. But every queer icon you can imagine that came to Dublin came. Mr. Pussy had those kinds of connections, Connections, you know. So, of course, uh, Eurasia and Boy George and, you know, Bronski Beat and everybody. Also, Adam Clayton was dating... Naomi Campbell, for a brief while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of the supermodels came uh, more than once.
1: <laughs> and like, are you very cool at this point and you're like not phased or were you losing your mind?
2: Totally like phased, as in losing my mind. <laughs> yeah. Huge fan of lots of these people, yeah. especially the supermodels. Like yeah. huge fan. But how it worked out was quite fun. Um, myself and Michael O'Malley were Considered to be maybe, you know, the most uh, fun of the staff. Mm -hmm. And we got to work the mezzanine. Not everybody got to work the mezzanine. So that meant that if Dolores O'Riordan was in, that's where she was. If the cores were in, that's where they were. So I had built myself up before I had to deal with supermodels, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. But when I actually was face-to-face with them, they couldn't have been lovelier. I'm just a cute young gay getting them (laughs) drinks. But they couldn't have been (laughs) lovelier. I was... Absolutely blown away by how beautiful yeah. they were. It was like Linda, Christy, Naomi, Kate. You know. Wow. The lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and the, you two had a kitchen, a club called The Kitchen. Yeah. In Tampa Bar at the time. And they had very famous DJs, DJing there all the time because they were making the album, I think, Octung Baby. They were very into that rave yeah. culture. And so The Kitchen... And Mr. Pussy's was really like this massive, expensive green room yeah. for the band. So, <laughs> you know?
1: so would people have gone... I'm, I'm trying to like picture the night. So would people have gone to Mr. Pussy's before the kitchen or after the kitchen?
2: After the kitchen.
1: Okay. And maybe
2: before, depending on what, maybe what clique you were in. Yeah. But definitely after. After the clubs closed was really when... To, when you wanted to be there.
1: Oh my God, I would love to just go back in a time machine just for one night. It was
2: insane. And, pe- and people would stay until the sun came up, essentially, below oh. the taxis outside in the morning, and that would be that. Everybody had to get out.
1: Fun. Yeah.
2: Uh, really fun. Yeah, really great. Really yeah. wild experience for, for a kid. Yeah. For a young person, like it was 20, 21.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, what happened as well next was amazing. When Mr. Pussy's closed down, It was announced very shortly before it closed. It was got to do with, allegedly, the books, which makes perfect sense because everybody was drinking. The staff, everybody. (laughs) And there's so many people who were drinking for free. All of the celebs were drinking for free, um, etc. So we got shut down. But John Reynolds... uh, the late John Reynolds, who went on to start the electric picnic yeah. and pod and red box, mm. came in and poached me on my last night. So I was that girl who got to take off their apron and go, I'm
1: Bye out of guys. Here. <laughs> See you, fuckers. <laughs> yeah. So I
2: went from there to the pod uh, and the chocolate bar and became a host and a door whore yeah. off the back of being the mezzanine. Waitress in Mr. Pussies.
1: But that was where, am I right in thinking that's where the drag kind of got into you, where you started to feel like that was going to be something you were going to do?
2: Yeah. from I think from, no, if, I think actually in Mr. Pussies, I never thought I would do drag. No. I loved it. Okay. And my best friend, Paul Rowley, who's a filmmaker based in New York, was into doing a bit of drag. And mm. I got off on helping him. Right. I would like make clothes with him, for him, help him. Yeah. I was a little bit better with the makeup. Than he was. Yeah, both of us were totally inexperienced. <laughs> yeah. So that's really. I was more like playing with this doll. Mm. But he moved to San Francisco and invited me to come mm. and stay, and that's when I really got into drag because he was already doing drag in San Francisco, and he signed us up for a show that same day, the day that I arrived. Tuesday nights was tranny shack, and it was a Tuesday, and. Um, and we spent the day just getting in drag. And then we went and performed as a duo at this club. We called ourselves the Fashion Olympics. Hmm. He had this great white dress, very disco, very kind of Grecian. Hmm. So I went to a costume hire shop and hired a kind of a Grecian dress. And we spent the day kind of making ourselves look a bit like a Grecian strawberry switchblade, if you can imagine <laughs> that. Because we really went to town with the hair. Yeah. Um, and we did this song, uh, I'm in love with a German film star, uh, by the Passions, really beautiful song. I can listen
1: to that on the way home.
2: And you love it; it's a beautiful yeah. song. And uh, and that was that. I had no real idea that I was going to become a drag queen. Yeah. Even then, even afterwards, I sat on the bar then and I made a new friend, and that was Animatronic. She was the first woman that I ever met who was performing in drag. Yeah. And she was so much better than the rest of us. <laughs> like really, incredibly good. Um, And this was before she became a pop star. And we became besties almost straight away. We just hit it off. And that really encouraged me to do it more because she was like, you're a drag queen. Yeah. (laughs) You know? She
1: diagnosed you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) But also what happened that night, as I mentioned in the film, a a great performer called Steve Lady stole the show doing a Bowie number, Rock and Roll Suicide, which Mm -hmm. was to become my first solo number. I never pretend that I didn't pinch it straight from her. You know, I was just blown away by her. And I was a huge Bowie fan. Yeah.
1: And there was, I I remember when I first saw you being, feeling that Bowie, like, was there. Like, I was Uh like, this is a a Bowie drag queen.
2: I had never put it together in my head. And that's why she unlocked it for me. Because I was just like, oh, I am a drag queen. They're right. I'm just not the kind (laughs) of drag queen I've ever seen. I'm this other kind that I'm going to have to, create yeah for myself yeah. was really what i realized yeah and um yeah so steve lady and i eventually became friends. It's hard to become friends with someone when you're such a big fan. But yeah. we did, we got there. Eventually we even made out on her bed once for a while, but we didn't seal the deal unfortunately. <laughs> I don't think I was like ripe enough for her, you know. She was much more sophisticated than me. She I see. was like like a cat playing with a toy. You know what I mean? But we were happy
1: to be played with. <laughs> oh,
2: so uh, over the moon ecstatic like oh my god, all my dreams come true. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how it started for me.
1: I love the the family aspect of drag. Like you mentioned Pixie earlier and I, I, would I be right in saying Pixie's your drag daughter? Is that correct? I don't want to use the f- incorrect phraseology. Oh yeah, they're um, allowed
2: to say that. Yeah. But
1: all of the connections that you have, you know, the, the 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 chosen family that comes with drag, I think is is so beautiful. Uh-huh. And I, Mr. Pussy says, um, you know, that, that she's your drag mother and uh-huh. she's honored to be to be that uh-huh. and then you obviously I'm sure have s- such feelings about your own drag children who yes. are now going to spawn their own drag children they, and already they, have. they have exactly I granny. was just going to say yeah, yeah. who was your drag granddaughter is it
2: well I guess you know it's hard to say at the moment because okay. there's a big falling out between.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> okay, well we won't go there then. God but you forbid. know, it's,
2: it depends. For example, Anxiety would call herself my daughter for yeah. sure, and she would call Viola her daughter. Okay, yeah, but yeah. I yeah. would also call Viola my daughter. Okay. Because I gave her her first gig ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I
1: mean? I don't so want to so start any worse know. on this podcast.
2: <laughs> so the lines get a little blurry. Do you know <laughs> you But know. I
1: love that you can see it because you can see the family resemblance. Like it makes oh. total sense. To me, that anxiety is your drag daughter, uh-huh. and that Vi- Viola would be part of the family as uh-huh. well. Yeah. Um, where does that come from? That that those even that terminology.
2: Yeah, that, I think that comes right from the start. It comes mm. from surviving in yeah. the ballroom scene yeah. where you needed a house and a mother if yeah. you were to stand a chance because a lot of those kids didn't have a house or a mother. Yeah. You know? For people Either who aren't familiar,
1: ballroom scene is um like a, a queer subculture. started in New York in the 80s yeah. or earlier. 80s yeah, yeah. 80s, yeah. And it was a, about a lot of kids who left home to try and find somewhere they'd be accepted and connected. Yeah. And I'm absolutely fascinated by it. If you haven't seen Paris is Burning, if you're in any way interested, go and watch Paris is burning. Oh, so and good. You'll get your and pose, primer, and pose. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. So uh, so many people will be familiar with it now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it does come directly from there. It, yeah.
2: I think it does really come from there. On, but I think it is just the nature of the relationship. It is exactly it, it, what yeah. it says on the tin. Yeah. You know, Pixie is my drag daughter. It's not the same as having a daughter. It's better. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I think uh-huh. the fact that she lived here for ten years and then you had to give yeah. her a little nudge to get rid of hers. that's yeah. b- that is having a daughter um, currently in this housing situation in Dublin
2: and there's something in it with Pixie and I and I have other daughters who I adore Chanel and Shalina many over the years mm. um, but there's something in our DNA yeah. Pixie and I are so similar yeah. as people yeah she is a cooler better version of me she's even a better looking version but only if you squint <laughs> <laughs>
1: who's squinting nobody <laughs> um, well I I think you know the film is so joyful as discussed previously Thank and you. um it is such a beautiful I think kind of assemblage of all of the bits of you that I know I mean obviously I don't know you intimately but you know it brings in the fun it brings in the drag you really feel that you're your kind of warmth and kindness that maybe people who went to see a show wouldn't necessarily know is there Uh and then there's this amazing activism that has become such a focus um is it still your number one priority that activism the HIV activism
2: yeah there's still a long way to go and i feel like the film is just another thread in whatever i'm trying to weave in the future yeah you know and um we're already engaged with a new season of pause vibe we have a new episode coming out next week and we have a lot of plans for this year yeah and beyond that i never really know what i'm doing yeah i just follow my instincts try to listen to my mm. inner voice as much as i can and move forward i think the thing that started me on this journey was so simple i was in this very room with my friend our lady k i was gonna say jay <laughs> there's another person <laughs> <laughs> it's with lady k and we wrote this song called I Came Out One Night. Mm. And I used that song to come out about my HIV status. And the only reason I knew I was going to do it was because as the song was coming, the lyrics were coming out of me, that's what I was singing about and I knew it. And following that voice and listening to Mm. my instinct kind of led to How to Tell a Secret, to the podcast, to World Pride in Sydney, to pregnant with a drag queen yeah. and I'm just going to keep doing it it's like the universe is telling me it's my thing yeah and I feel really proud of what we're doing.
1: It's interesting you said that about songwriting. I, I heard Billie Eilish talking about that recently, that sometimes like, she'll write a song and she won't think it's even about her. And then I'll, she'll realize, oh, wait, no, actually, that's very about me. <laughs> uh-huh. I didn't even know that I needed to kind of get that out of me. Um, so there you go, you and Billie Eilish, very connected. We're
2: very close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it probably
1: won't be long. Me, uh, Anna, Billie, we're in a group chat. <laughs> Can I ask if there was one thing that you wanted to People to take away in terms of HIV uh, from our conversation. Obviously, you uh-huh. equals you. Yes. Is there anything else?
2: Yeah. Um, I think if you're living with HIV and you feel like you're in a privileged position enough to come out about your status, my advice would be it's the very best thing that you can do for your own mental health and quality of life. And mm-hmm. the more of us do it, the better for all of us. Mm-hmm. It's not everyone who's in that position, and I understand that, so I mm. send them love as well. Mm. To everyone else, know your status. We have all of the tools to end new HIV situations.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, we have PrEP, which will prevent you ever becoming HIV positive. We have amazing drugs that keep people like me undetectable and prevent us from passing it on. Mm. Um, The only reason we have new HIV cases year on year is because people don't test. Mm. And you can test at home for free. Mm. Tests are free with the HSC. Yeah. And you just go online and they'll send it to your door. It's very discreet. It's Mm. very easy to do. And you'll find out your status. Majority of people won't get a positive test. Mm. But you should get peace of mind from knowing that you've played your part. Yeah. And some people will get a positive test and we'll be here for you. Reach out to us, but just know that, you know, your health is gonna be fine. Yeah. You're you're gonna be fine. You're still gonna be able to have children who will be HIV negative. Mm. You you don't actually need to worry too much about the situation. Mm. Um and we're going to end the stigma together. So don't feel ashamed. Don't let a virus, a virus has no personality, has no judgment. A virus doesn't care who you've been with, who you haven't been with. Mm. So don't let a virus control how you feel about yourself. Mm. Um, and it's great as well to always talk about the fact that the this used to be considered a gay disease. And now we're in a situation where there are as many straight people as there are queer people living with HIV. Yeah. And... The group that are growing in number year on year is the straight community. Yeah. Um, so it's really important for everybody to get tested. Yeah. It's also really a, a, a sad that most women only get tested when they're pregnant. It's the only time that anyone suggests to them yeah. that they should. The only time that it's like in a hospital where they're going to ask you to have a HIV test. Yeah. And so most women who have a diagnosis, have a diagnosis because they're pregnant. Yeah. Which is already quite a scary thing to go through. Yeah, um, And a lot of them, the majority of them are in monogamous relationships. So they have no idea that this has come for them.
1: Yeah, so that's a nice layered thing to process there. A lot yeah. going on.
2: It's very sad. And then a lot of women find out because they have AIDS. Mm. They don't find out through pregnancy or through a test they don't find out until they're very sick indeed yeah and we don't want that to happen either no um ifa cummins who was on tommy tiernan recently came out on our podcast she's an Mm -hmm. amazing young woman she had to ask they three times in the hospital for a hiv test before eventually on the fourth time she got it because doctors are fallible too they might have one day's education yeah on hiv when they're in med school because there's so much for them to learn yeah and they don't put they they think it's a queer disease too yeah i have a friend of a friend who passed away a couple of years ago in a hospital in brazil for exactly that reason Mm. nobody wanted to ask him if he was gay and test him for hiv so they decided that he had cancer and by the time they figured out he didn't it was it was too late Um, and
1: that's the stigma
2: That's the stigma. It's Mm. the stigma. And people just making an assumption when half of the people living with HIV are already heterosexual.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
2: It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
1: we have to get over it.
2: We have to. So just go online and book yourself a test. You need to be responsible for your own sexual health. You can't point the finger at anybody else. You know, if there's problems in your relationship, that's your problem too, Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, but the tools are there. Yeah, and the engine is yours. Yeah. You
1: know? Well, I love it, and I think that's a beautiful place to end. Thank you so much for this time.
2: My pleasure. I hope
1: everybody watches "Pregnant with a Drag Queen." As I said, it's on Virgin Media One on Tuesday at eleven PM. But as Veda said, it's also going to be available on the player so you can watch it whenever suits.
2: Please do players.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank
0: you. We're yeah.